Welcome to Coach House Talks. So, summer's coming. Some would argue it's already here. Some would argue that by Thursday it'll be past. But summer is the time when people go on holiday, isn't it? <clears throat> it's kind of our tradition. And it's something that we wait for all year long. It's that one week of the year when you can jet off to Ibiza, maybe, or Greece, or maybe just get a bus to Blackpool. Either way, you know that it's coming, don't you? It doesn't just happen. You had to think about it months ago. You had to plan where you were going. You had to plan when you were going. You had to perhaps go ahead and make bookings. Now, if you're like me, and you do plan ahead, you will have already made some preparations. Now, my wife's gone out to Sunday school this morning, but, you know, just, um, you know, don't tell her this, but I have already looked up which football teams are playing at home <laughs> while we're on holiday. <laughs> but that, just keep that to yourself. That's, that's, don't tell her. Okay. <laughs> now, the thing is that holidays are something that are quite easy to plan for. We know exactly what day they're going to happen on. But there are some things in life that we can't plan quite so precisely. So, for example, if you're having a baby, okay, which I'm not, although I know I look like it, <clears throat> but you can guess the date quite closely, can't you? You can get quite close. But it's not always exact. Nevertheless, the one thing you do do is you make some preparation, don't you? You put a bag together, which you can just grab hold of as you depart for the hospital. So you make a preparation. What about stuff that's a bit less predictable? So what happens if you're unfortunate enough to live in an area that's prone to flooding? And we've seen quite a lot of this recently, haven't we? Particularly in Sydney, in Australia. Um, if you live in one of those areas, you might want to have a bag ready, just in case, might you? You want to do something about that. Now, this is a little bit different because in the first place, you probably want to pack a bit more stuff than you would if you were just going to the hospital. But you also have no idea what date this flood is going to come on. So you're going to need to be vigilant, maybe for many years. And you'll need to review your plans regularly. Now, flooding is a big event in someone's life. It's unpleasant, it's upsetting, and it usually forces you out of your house. You end up somewhere that you don't really want to be. All you really want to do is go home, isn't it? But you can't. And quite often when these things happen, you don't even know when you can go home. You're stuck somewhere, it's unpleasant. So you might be asking, what, what on earth has that got to do with the Bible study? Where are we with our Bible study? Well, we're at the point in the study where we've studied part of the Old Testament. I'm just going to review this a little bit in a minute. But it's to help us to think about being ready. So what I've talked about is to make you think about being ready. Being ready for something that you don't necessarily feel certain is going to happen. 
And that's where we're up to with the Bible story that we've been covering for the last few months. Been going through the Old Testament a little bit at a time, following the general story and the plan. And we're up to the point where for the Israelites, so the focus of this story, something bad has already happened. Okay? They've been defeated and they've been carried away to a foreign land. It's called the exile. They realize that it's their own fault. God had warned them, but he'd also told them that they'd eventually be going home. Actually, God had even told them when they'd be going home. But we have to ask the question, did they really believe it? And were they ready for it? That's the question. Were they actually ready? Well, let's have a quick recap of where we've been so far in the story. And in the beginning, right on the very first page of the Bible, over there, that'll be on the right, no, the left-hand side, won't it, for you? Um, we, can, we can see that God created the earth. <clears throat> God created everything that we can see. And he did it in such a way to show off his glory for everybody to see. Then he created a man to enjoy that creation and to worship him. Then he created a woman to accompany the man. Now, even though the man knew God more closely than anyone has ever done since, the man still decided that he didn't want to do things quite the way God had told him to. It was the man who listened to somebody else's opinion and decided to live his life as he wanted to, not as God had told him to. And from this point on, the die is cast. God has to keep on stepping in to solve mankind's problems. But God has an interest in this. He's preserving a family line. And that family line goes through four and a half thousand years of history in order that Jesus could be born at just the right time. And until that could happen, God had to keep on intervening in order to preserve that family line that led to Jesus, the line that he'd promised the minute that Adam sinned. And he was also in the process showing who belonged to him and who didn't as we go along the story. That's the story we've been hearing for the past few weeks uh, or months. And hopefully you'll remember some of it from the reminders that we've got here. So we are right here now. We're getting to the very end of the Old Testament. Now, as part of God's judgment, he sent a flood to rid the world of people who turned away from him. Then he chose people to be his own people. He favoured people like Jacob and Joseph, uh, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, Ruth, David, King David. He allowed his people to take possession of the land that we now call Israel. And he protected Israel against all the other nations that wanted to destroy them. He wanted his people to worship him. But frequently, the people turned away. In our story so far, we've seen that the people asked for a king to rule over them, even though God had told them not to. Now, one of those kings, David,
David was actually good enough to be pleasing to God. But after he died, successive kings went from bad to worse. They even split God's kingdom into two parts, with one king expressly stating that no son of David would ever rule over his people. This king, Jeroboam, made a choice on behalf of many people to reject the son of David. And remember that that family line that God was protecting, the thread that runs through the whole Bible that leads from Adam to Noah, to Abraham, to Judah, to Boaz, to David, to Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. So in a sense, the northern kingdoms represent all people who refuse to accept the son of David ruling over them. When Adam made that choice to try and do things his way, he was rejecting the son of David. When Esau wanted a bowl of soup instead of his inheritance, he was rejecting the son of David. When the Israelites asked Samuel to appoint a king, they were rejecting the son of David. And as the years went on and kings came and went, the people continued to reject the son of David. Now, before we think of ourselves as any different, Every single one of us at some time has rejected the son of David. All of us. How do I know that? Because Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the reason the Old Testament's so important. The reason we ignore it at our peril and it's because it paints a very accurate picture of what we are really like. Back in the year 722 BC, because <clears throat> that's kind of where this story's kind of around and about, it sounds like a long time ago, and it probably is, certainly before I was born. Just. Well, God has to step in at this point. This is the part of the story where Israel, which is what we call the northern kingdoms, those people, remember those people, they directly rejected the son of David. Well, in this year, they were conquered by the Assyrian nation. The people of the northern kingdom were made up of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And these people were just killed, enslaved, or generally dispersed. And they don't feature in any history from that point on. They just completely disappear from the historical records. Lost for all time. Now, the two other tribes who formed the southern kingdom, or what we sometimes call Judah, they actually fared a little bit better. And this is partly because they had at least observed some of God's laws, or perhaps tried to. But it's also because within those tribes is that family line that God is protecting. But they still needed dealing with, and God was not going to wait forever. So in 586 BC, they were also conquered, this time by the Babylonian Empire. The leaders of Israel and many ordinary people were taken away. They were taken to Babylon. This was their flood. 
it happens suddenly and unexpectedly. Or maybe not quite so unexpectedly because they were told. And now they're finding themselves somewhere that they didn't want to be, not knowing whether they would ever be allowed to go home. But clearly, they need to make some sort of preparation just in case. But what preparation are we going to make? Well, clearly, if you want to make some preparations, you need to follow some instructions. There's no point turning up at the airport pretending that nobody told you you had to take a passport and expecting to still be allowed through. So a good starting point would be to understand what God had been saying before the exile. And what was he saying now, at that time? Well, as it happens, in case you hadn't noticed, the Bible's quite a thick book. So God's given plenty of instruction, hasn't he? Firstly, he has told them that they would suffer this time of captivity or exile, as the stay in Babylon is called. Secondly, he's also told them that they'll eventually return to the land. These instructions were delivered by people called prophets. Now, let's just check out a few things that some of the prophets said. Well, we can go back an awfully long time, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy, which is written by Noah. Noah was one of the early prophets, amongst other things. And he said, in the future, when you have children and grandchildren and have lived in the land for a long time, do not corrupt yourselves by making idols of any kind. This is evil in the sight of the Lord your God and will arouse his anger. Today I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you. If you break my covenant, you will quickly disappear from the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will live there only a short time, then you will be utterly destroyed. For the Lord will scatter you amongst the nations where only a few of you will survive. There in a foreign land you will worship idols made from wood and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. So these words were written, well, <clears throat> a good a thousand years before the exile. In effect, God was warning the Israelites about complacency. He knew that once they'd occupied the land, well, actually, no, once they'd partially occupied the land, because remember, they never did the job properly, did they? He knew that they would turn away. So this should serve as a warning for Christians today. When we become Christians, we're not the finished article. We're only just beginning to occupy the land that God is giving us. But we think we're okay. Yeah? Jesus has forgiven us. Grace is sufficient for me. Wrong. You must occupy the whole land. You must drive out the previous occupiers, your sins, your previous practices that God finds detestable. Now, this takes time. In fact, it takes the rest of your life. 
but you must persevere. <clears throat> Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. And the instructions in this scripture is to keep God's covenant. The penalty for not doing so is the same as it was back then. You'll be utterly destroyed, exiled from God's presence, exiled from eternity with no way back. Now, not keeping God's covenant manifested itself in many ways. <clears throat> the prophet Jeremiah warns us not to be proud, not to think that we are in any way good, not to trust in our own abilities or in achievements. And in chapter 13 of his book, he says, listen and pay attention. Do not be arrogant for the Lord has spoken. Give glory <clears throat> to the Lord your God before it is too late. Acknowledge him before he brings darkness upon you. Remember your preparations. You must make them before the disaster happens. What about the prophet Amos? <clears throat> you know, I'm just dipping into the prophets for a moment. <clears throat> mm. I'm just dipping into the prophets for a moment and there's a lot of stuff in the prophets. We can't cover it all. So we're just dipping in to this, some of the bits. And what I want you to do is go and look at some more bits for yourself because it's no good just thinking that, you know, a few bits is enough. Now, the prophet Amos was writing around the year 760 BC. So that's about 40 years before, um, before the northern kingdoms were dispersed. And what he was warning about was social justice. And this is what he wrote. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. Okay. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to their husbands, bring us another drink. It's the scripture. So this is the word of God. This is God's words. The sovereign Lord has sworn this by his holiness. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like fish on a hook. You will be led out through the ruins of the wall, and you will be thrown from your fortress, says the Lord. Now, we might laugh about it, but fat cows is what God is calling women who coerce their husbands to cheat the poor, to overwork their servants in order that they can live a life of leisure. I should say this applies to men as well the other way around. So don't just go thinking that it only applies to women. The practice of wearing a stud in your nose is not a modern thing, just in case you think it's something the kids have got down with these days. Back in those days, it was quite fashionable too, okay? And what God is doing is he's contrasting luxury nose jewellery, which is really only for the very rich, with the way in which they would be treated like cattle when they went into exile. 
When King Manasseh was captured by the Assyrians in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, it says they put a ring in his nose, bound him in chains, and led him away to Babylon. Let's think about that. Time and time again, the prophets are telling the king, the leaders and the people that they have turned away from God. There's nobody left out here. They're not worshipping him and they're not applying the law of Moses in their lives. So it stands to reason that if we don't read the Old Testament, that we will be as guilty as they are. How will we know what God expects of us if we don't read the Old Testament? It sounds like I'm plugging the Old Testament this morning, doesn't it? And I am, because I know that there are people who think that it's, it's old and it's not relevant. It's as relevant today as it was when the prophets said, read it, because if you don't, there's a problem. The prophet Daniel realized all these things. He was well aware of these things. He'd lived in Jerusalem before the exile, and he was one of the ones that had been taken into captivity in Babylon while he was still quite young. Now, as we go on in years, he's an old man, and he's studying the book of Jeremiah. So he's reading the Bible. He's reading the Old Testament, not the New Testament, remember. And he's realized that this time of exile is coming to an end because Jeremiah told them how long they would be there. So he knows it. It's in front of him. Daniel wasn't responsible for the sin of the people, but he took it upon himself to pray for the people because he could see that they were not ready to go back. The people were still as far from God as they had ever been. So Daniel had to do something. And in chapter 9, he prays, because that's really what we do, isn't it? And prayer works. I had testimony to that this morning. And he says, O Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. What Daniel's doing here is he's asking God for mercy on Jerusalem, the holy city, because he could see that without God's help, these people would return to Jerusalem in no better state than when they left it. Daniel yearned for the real son of David to rule over him, but he could see that not many others had yet made that choice. Now, as the story progresses, the Israelites did indeed return to Jerusalem, and the books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell us all about this. Andy's going to go through this in a couple of weeks. And this was the first return. <clears throat> it was the first return. But it's not the ultimate return because that return has not yet happened. But we do know that at some time it will. That return will be the day when we, who are still here, leave this corrupted earth and go to be with Jesus in eternity. For some of us, that will be the day that we die. 
For others, it will be on a day known as the day of the Lord. In the first letter to the Thessalonian church, the Apostle Paul writes, you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour pains begin and there will be no escape. Jesus also told us something about that last day. In Matthew chapter 4, he says, When the Son of Man returns, that's him, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realise what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. Two men will be working in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left behind. Two women will be grinding corn at the mill, one will be taken, the other will be left. So, you too must keep watch, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Remember, Daniel knew that the date when they were going home but we don't know the date of the day of the Lord because Jesus has specifically told us we don't know that date. So don't be fooled by anybody who says they do know that date. Jesus says you don't, and that's final. Now, when Peter wrote his second letter, he also wrote similar words to the ones that Paul had written. He wrote this, The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will pass away in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. So there it is. There's the recommendation. Live a holy and godly life. Like the Israelites preparing to leave Babylon to return home, so we too should be preparing to leave this earth behind and return to our true home, heaven. We should be looking forward to it as eagerly as we look forward to a holiday. And we should prepare for it as thoroughly as we prepare for the unexpected events of this world. So, just to remind ourselves... Here's our list for preparation. Number one, keep God's covenant. Number two, give glory to the Lord your God before it's too late. Number three, don't take advantage of those less fortunate than yourself. Number four, listen to the prophets and read the Old Testament. And number five, accept the son of David, that's Jesus, as ruler over your life. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.